Welcome to the First Down Rundown podcast, where we give you a holistic view of the world of sports. Whether you're a casual fan or an avid fan, this is the place for you. And for the second week in a row, it is not the place for Hayden. Uh, we've been kind of discussing behind the scenes. Hayden actually has a ton of work, and he's 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 almost like working a uh, almost a well, I'm not not a full time job, but a a a part time to. to a part-time job that requires a lot of hours, I guess you could say, um, on top of having a pretty busy semester at college. So, you know, during the week he's, he's pretty busy. I'm luckily, uh, kind of, kind of out of the whole college realm now. Just, just got my, uh, got my kind of nine to five going on and, and I have time for the podcast in the evenings. And obviously I, I love doing it just as much as he does. So I'm happy to be doing the solo episodes, uh, especially when, you know, we're kind of just starting out with football season. It's, it's, you know, we're, we're, we're thick into things when it comes to college football and the NFL starting back in the fall here. Soon it's going to be NBA. The NBA starting soon. I mean, what are we what are we doing? NBA MLB playoffs coming up. So there's a lot to look forward to, even outside of obviously football. But uh, you know, because that's where we're at right now. The season's just started. We're, that's pretty much all that we're going to be getting into on this episode because there's a lot to talk about, right? Uh, and, and a couple of the things that obviously, as you heard last week's episode with Marine, our special guest, uh, we you know there were there were so many things that we covered in that episode that I had to even push uh, to now. So so we will kind of I'll, I'll kind of get everything covered. Don't even know if I'll have a rundown section just because kind of you know we're we're just kind of hitting the big topics here, um, and it's more of kind of a free free flowing discussion just kind of just kind of from my dome rather than uh you know rather than having a kind of a discussion back and forth which me and Hayden usually do he's more free on the weekends we'll probably try to get some some episodes out on the weekends if we can I know that we did that the first couple of years that we were doing the podcast we would do two episodes a week one was kind of Tuesday Wednesday-ish early week uh and then the other was was kind of Friday Saturday whenever you know we recorded a Saturday Sunday you know kind of whenever we had time um those episodes never really did as well obviously I mean that makes sense you you know people are busy on the weekends there's not not as much time to be listening to podcasts in your daily routine obviously on the weekends as it is uh kind of during the day that all being said though so I, we we've seen that a lot more people are listening to the podcast, so I appreciate that, and and it's cool. I mean, to see that you know, I mean, it's been like I think three years now um, that since we've just been kind of cranking out episodes pretty much every week now uh, for for those last three years, and to see kind of the growth of the podcast recently has been has been really cool. So I appreciate everyone for for listening. Um, please leave a rating on the show. Just tell us how great we are or how bad we are. I don't really care. Just as long as it's just as long as it's there to kind of just get some recognition um, out there. And I mean, there is years worth of content on the uh, on the channel. So please, I mean, feel free to listen to as many episodes as you please and uh, share it with your friends. If you like the content, if you enjoy it, uh, we have a social media. We have social media. So we have a Twitter. I think we have a TikTok. Um, not even sure if we have an Instagram, but obviously that's kind of been secondary to making sure that we still get the content out um, as kind of we've said, you know, me and Hayden are, are still pretty busy during the, you know, during the, during the week now. Um, and so in terms of just kind of like always being up on social media, it's not a super high priority, obviously more so important that we get the podcast out just for, just to have the content out there for people to listen to. So um, I, I would say, you know, follow us on all the social medias, but it's not really coming along uh, as we would wish for, for right now, but I think it's more important. The most important thing is that we just kind of continue to crank out the content for people to be able to listen to, you know, gather a, a good listening base and then kind of get into the social media game in a little bit here. Uh, and like I, like I mentioned on last episode, we're going to try to probably do some sort of live YouTube stream here in the future. I kind of need to research a little bit more into doing that because I know there's like a streaming platform that 
kind of helps you kind of live stream on YouTube when you're on basically a Zoom call at the same time. Uh, that way we can kind of have both of our faces on camera basically and be, you know, kind of presenting live stream, uh, you know, for the viewers. And and to be honest, like, I mean, Hayden edits the podcast. I don't edit the podcast whenever I record solo episodes or I kind of run the run the show here. When Hayden's on, he edits and, you know, and, and does all kind of the, the, the sound effects and everything in the background. Um, afterwards but I mean for to be honest like I mean I've you know obviously I listen to every episode back after we record it and he doesn't really take that much out so I think that you know we, we've almost gotten this down to a pretty cool science to where like I feel like if we did a live stream there's not there wouldn't be much downtime there wouldn't be much uh you know, I guess there wouldn't be, you know, many bloopers. There wouldn't be times where we're messing up or we're, you know, talking to each other about, about random stuff. So I think it would be a pretty successful venture, obviously kind of, you know, we, we've gotten a lot of practice in doing it. And I think now it probably would just come to come down to like actually kind of having to figure out the technology and then be able to kind of just put it up there. So I think that would be a great thing for obviously kind of the people who listen to the podcast already, as well as a great way to kind of get new, new listeners, new viewers, um, you know, onto the platform and just kind of listening to to what we have to say. So all that being said, I know that was a huge intro, but but just kind of wanted to get my thoughts out there and appreciate everybody for listening to to the podcast and continue to do so. Continue to tell your friends about it and um and and you know I, th- again, this is my passion. Obviously, like Hayden and just to kind of I talked about Hayden in the beginning um, and and how we might be doing episodes on the weekends and stuff. We're not sure like he might not really be able to do kind of the, you know, the, the midweek episodes going forward, uh, which I probably should have said. That's, that's what I led off with the, the, by the fact that he's not obviously not here. Uh, and so, you know, obviously, you know, we'll kind of figure that out as we go along. But I mean, right, this is this is kind of my passion. Um, and so I'm obviously going to kind of you know, just, just, just kind of pick up wherever, wherever we can. I want to, um, it's not even like I feel forced to get episodes out just for people to be able to listen or for the podcast to kind of remain in the state that it is and, and, and continue to grow. It's more so honestly for me to just kind of be able to talk about sports because that's just kind of what I love to do. So, um, I think that's a great transition into getting into the first topic of the week. So we're going to go NFL and then college football uh, to end things off here. I, I also we kind of as you've kind of noticed, we, we do kind of we, we kind of introduce a topic um, and then just kind of have a general discussion about it. As I'm doing this, these episodes by myself, it's a little bit more of kind of like I'm just going to kind of hit the points that I want to. I'm obviously going to introduce a topic and, and, and kind of I'm going to do it in the same way that me and Hayden would do it uh, in terms of just kind of introducing a topic and then kind of having a question for discussion. Uh, but I think that it's it's definitely you know just as much as kind of me going through my own thoughts taking in the you know the other podcasts that I've listened to the other articles that I've read throughout the week so far and just kind of combining my opinions and, and just kind of presenting those here as well so uh, it's going to be you know set up as a discussion topic but more so just kind of me giving my opinion and because of that you know I I would I would be fine with kind of going over every single game that happened, you know, on the NFL side and just kind of giving my thoughts and opinions because I've done plenty of that and listened to plenty of that content already just in preparation for, uh, well, kind of just for my own knowledge sake in general, but um, but also kind of to, to curate my thoughts here to to share on the podcast. That being said, I don't necessarily, I'm not going to get into every single game that happened. Um, I kind of have three topics here about the biggest stories coming out of the weekend for the NFL games. And then obviously I'll kind of get into, uh, you know, if, if there's smaller stuff that needs to be mentioned. And, and obviously, as we know, I can all get, I, I can, you bet your bottom dollar that I can get off on a tangent by myself here uh, as, I'll, as I'll be talking. So the first the first topic here, we'll start off with the NFL, is that the Ravens beat the Bengals in Cincinnati. That brings the Bengals' record to an 0-2 start uh, for the season. 
And that's actually the third 0-2 start in the four years under Joe Burrow's tenure ever since he was drafted there. Uh, obviously, his rookie year, he got, I think, six games in and then tore his ACL and he was out for the year. The next year, he, you know, we, we obviously know that, um, you know, he was kind of struggling with injuries there and, and you know, it was it was okay. Uh, and then, um, or no, sorry, second year uh, was was. A, an overwhelming success. Obviously, they got to the Super Bowl third year last year. They got to the AFC Championship, and then this is his fourth year. So, um, so Joe Burrow has basically is one in seven in his first uh, two games to start each of the four seasons that he's started with the Bengals. And so that's been kind of the overwhelming theory, or at least the overwhelming narrative as we go into all of these seasons. And I remember Hayden and I doing a podcast last year when the Bengals, I think it was week three, um, lost to the Dallas Cowboys. Now you're thinking about that this year. Oh, Bengals, yeah, we would actually expect that. In fact, the, the Cowboys would be favored over the Bengals, even given Jerboa at full strength and you know all the receivers and the defense and everything like that this year. But last year, Dak Prescott was out for the Cowboys and Cooper Rush was actually able to beat the Bengals. And yes, that's the same Bengals team that reached the AFC Championship and had a pretty good chance of, of beating the beating the Chiefs uh, in on their home turf to be able to go to the Super Bowl last year. So thinking about how that season started and then where they ended up, you're thinking, okay, well, yeah, it's basically a given that the Bengals are going to start out pretty badly here, but they'll be able to recover and they'll be able to make it, you know, make a deep playoff run as they have each of the last two years, despite, you know, some bad starts. And so, yes, that's kind of what we're given. And I think that's kind of the situation that we have right now. But the difference is that this year, Joe Burrow is clearly different, right? And and there's, a again, everybody has their opinion on what's happened. Um, I, I think that the, the clearest thing at, at this point, well, let me just introduce the topic. So I, I, at least I, what I wrote down here was obviously Burrow was more hurt than he originally led on. Uh, but there are other factors that could hold the Bengals back from being, or I'm sorry, are there other factors that could hold the Bengals back from being, or from hold the Bengals back from their Super Bowl aspirations? I completely botched over that especially when I said that I was just still going to read read out the topic as I had it written here on the Google Doc but obviously like I said I would I would get into um you know get into my own tangents uh anyway so yeah, that's the main thing, right? Is 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 Joe Burrow doesn't look like anything like he did uh, each of the last couple years and a lot of that can be attributed to the fact that I think it was middle to late July uh he you know we were kind of watching the training camp videos and everything and he goes down with like a non-contact thing which is always you know the the worst possible case for you know for when we kind of see these star players go down with a non-contact injury usually means bad things right torn ACLs are actually more so often uh more more than more often than not acquired through a non-contact you know whether it be the way your plant foot goes or you know just kind of the you know the the you know getting in and out of a cut or whatever uh same with Achilles as we saw with with Aaron Rodgers now obviously he was in game and getting tackled when it happened but you know it was it was his plant foot that kind of you know that's how that's what ruptured the Achilles so it's not necessarily though and those are kind of the two biggest injuries that happen to skill position players that keep them out that you know when you suffer that injury you're automatically out for the entire season so um he had he went down with a non-contact injury. We end up finding out that it's a calf strain, right? And you're thinking, okay, well that that's not bad, right? And he sits out the whole preseason. He was limited in the drills, obviously throughout the training camp, and then he you know he didn't play any of the preseason, which basically half the quarterbacks in the NFL didn't play in the preseason. That's why we saw such a low scoring output uh, in week one. This past week, week two was a lot higher scoring, and we saw that. Hey, look what happens when you basically have one week to actually gel with your team because nobody's actually played together throughout the entire preseason. Uh, so that was actually fun to see that there there was a lot more score and that the whole cover two shell uh, theory where, you know, that needs to be banned from the NFL is, is not going to be, is, there's, there's no legs to that argument anymore. Uh, but regardless, 
in this past week, we saw – well, first week, obviously, week, week, week one, the Bengals played the Browns. And, again, it was terrible weather. Uh, the Browns' defense showed up in that weather, and the Bengals were kind of held to nothing, right? And we saw this past weekend they played the Ravens at home. They were able to score 24 points, but seven of those points were off a kickoff return. The other two touchdowns were to T. Higgins. Uh, but even still, Burrow was missing open guys. Jamar Chase is absolutely nowhere to be found. I mean, he, he I think he has, like – he hasn't even gotten 100 yards in, in totality on the season yet. Um, and there's been plays where he's just kind of jogging around the field. So it's kind of like, you know, what are we what are we thinking for this Bengals team and kind of where has where has all this stemmed from? I think that it's it's clear that Burrow, like I said, was, was a lot more hurt or that calf strain was bothering him a lot more than we thought or at least than he originally let on. And you kind of have to think about the progression of what, ha- what happened too was the fact that he got hurt in training camp, right? We thought it was bad. It comes out, oh, it's a calf strain. Never mind. It's not that bad. Then he gets signed to the to the biggest contract in NFL history. He becomes the richest player in the entire NFL. And then he looks like crap in the first two games that he plays. And you're thinking, all right, well, what what you know, what's what's to give here? Well, he actually restrained that calf in the game uh, against the Ravens this past week. He he was kind of shaking it off a little bit and he was like, Yeah, no, I'm good. But but that's clearly bothering him, right? And and the problem, and you're thinking this whole time, which I thought the exact same thing, I'm like, it's a it's a calf strain. Like, what do you what do you do? like I feel like I've had a million calf strains in my life and I it just kind of goes away and you're able to be fine with it, right? The difference with a calf strain and the kind of the 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 specific reasons why it's bad for a quarterback to have to be to have a calf strain and to be continuously playing on a calf strain is the fact that whichever leg and I think it's his non like his non pivot foot is 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 the is the leg that he has the calf strain on and when you're favoring that calf strain you're using the other leg more so as a as an anchor to be able to throw the ball with as much power as you were before and we saw in that first game in the Cleveland game obviously the weather was bad but there were times when Burrow was just missing a wide open receivers he was just not even be he was he wasn't able to get the ball to the receiver you know whether it be timing or whatever it just, it just looked it looked looked off so you start to think, okay, well, you know, right? He's he's favoring his non his non pivot foot because the calf strain is still kind of bothering him, and that's actually, in terms of kind of what I, all of what I've read and listened to so far, that's actually what leads to a lot of the Achilles in, Achilles injuries that that quarterbacks end up suffering is when you have a calf strain specifically, you end up favoring the other leg, and that's the leg that you end up because you're favoring it so much and you're kind of putting more force on it than you normally would, and you're still trying to throw the ball sixty yards down the field, that ends up in in in, a, in an Achilles injury most. Of the time, or not most of the time, but it's 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 a bigger ch- bigger percentage chance of kind of a bigger injury to come, you know, later down the road. So that's the whole deal here with the Bengals and and Joe Burrow specifically, who obviously their team kind of flows through, or at least has been, you know, in, in the previous years. And I, and I think that's probably why coming into the season, me and Hayden obviously did our kind of our predictions for how these teams would fare and and whatnot. And and during our NFC North or AFC North portion. I took the under on their season win total. I said, I don't, I don't think it was 11 and a half, right? I said, I don't think they're going to get to 12 wins. They'll be, you know, in contention to win the AFC North and they'll probably still be able to go to the playoffs. Uh, but a lot of that obviously hinges on the fact that in the past couple of years, they've had just so many, and it, and again, I hate to just say it, but it's like, they've almost had so many, they've just had so many lucky um, results seemingly to where, you know, in the first half they're losing. I mean, even think back to the Chiefs in the AFC Championship game with the, with the Chiefs before, you know, the Bengals are down, I think was 30 or was it, you know, 21 to 10 or 21 to 3 or something like that to come back and win that game to be end up going to the Super Bowl. They obviously had, you know, a multitude of those same, you know, similar situations over the past couple of years. And yes, it's a credit to Lou Anarumo, who's their defensive coordinator, for making adjustments during halftime. 
And then obviously Joe Burrow being able to get the ball to Jamar Chase and Jamar Chase being an amazing athlete to be able to catch the balls and, and you know, right, be third and 17 and they're converting it like on a, on a, at a 60% clip, which is unheard of. And so a lot of what I thought coming into the season, what was going to happen to this Bengals team was there's going to be an, some innate regression baked into whatever is going to happen, you know, for the results of this team on a game by game basis, which in the past couple of years has just kind of gone their way. I mean, we think about even the last two playoff runs, right? Like the first round of the playoffs, I talked about the Chiefs win in in 2021 when they end up going to the Super Bowl. Well, you got to think about the first round of playoffs that year. They play the Raiders, who had like a like an 11 six team. That was Derek Carr led Raiders team with John Gruden as the head coach, who's since been fired. Um, if the Raiders get down into field goal range and Daniel Carson hits like a 55 yard field goal, the Bengals lose that game and the Raiders move on. Right? We think about the Titans game where Joe Burrow gets sacked like six or I think it was nine times. They still end up winning that game. And then obviously last year, as I've went over a couple times now, uh, if if Tyler Huntley is able to stick the ball over the goal line, the Ravens win that game outright in Cincinnati last year. And Tyler Huntley le- and the, the you know the Tyler Huntley led Baltimore Ravens team moves on to beat the Cincinnati Bengals. Instead, Tyler Huntley reaches the ball over the goal line, but before he can get there, the ball's knocked out. Cincinnati returns the 99 yards for a touchdown and wins the playoff game over the over the uh, over the Ravens, and eventually go on to to play the Chiefs in the AFC Championship. So there's just been so many instances where this Bengals team gets basically just gets lucky with the with kind of the results that happen and there's been so many of them that have strung together to where like when you do lose both of your starting safeties from last year you know it it it, it kind of adds up in addition to obviously kind of like I said the regression that was I think baked into be able to kind of affect this team coming into the year so all of that being said, again, you know the the, the Burrow injury is very you know it, it's 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 sad you know it kind of sucks the the fact that like. It was it it was just kind of this, you know, nonchalant training camp injury that's now turned into something that you know they're the Bengals are gonna wanna sit him, I think, for the next couple weeks. Uh because it's one of those things where like if you can prevent a major injury from happening, you're gonna wanna do that. Like I, that's to my in my mind, like why would you stick him out here already knowing that he's hurt in the beginning of the season? Just to maybe get a win over the Rams, they play at Monday night next week. Like I, I, I just don't think that's the smartest move by the Bengals, especially for a guy that you just gave the richest contract in NFL history, right? Like this is your, this is your quarterback of the future. This is your franchise quarterback. He, you know, he could very well play another fifteen years. Like it's better to hold him out for these these next couple games against teams that you know their, their season started out. You know, you're zero and two and you're zero and two in the division, which is not that great. And and you know, people who are Ravens fans like I am, not. I'm not I'm a Packers fan by nature but in terms of like you know I I was very high on the Ravens coming into the season I thought they'd be really good they're already 2 and 0 and got this division win as well so you know, it, it's it's not looking great for like kind of the you know the automatic division winning team that the Bengals have been in the past couple of years but Again, we're looking for the future, and and I think that you know it's just it's so much more important to have Joe Burrow healthy and not be re-injuring him, either and not only re-injuring himself in terms of like the calf issues, but also which could be leading to you know a a worse injury in the future. Like you know that would it would be horrible if he ends up playing next week and because he's favoring his non his non pivot foot when he's trying to throw, he tears his Achilles, and it's like we've lost Rodgers and Burrow now to two Achilles injuries in the first you know two weeks of the season, three weeks of the season, so. The other part of this Bengals thing, though, and we address, I addressed this heavily on the preview episode, too, was the fact that this is kind of 
this is kind of the last year for the Bengals window in terms of having all of these skill guys on offense. We've already heard the reports that T. Higgins is probably going to be traded because you essentially can't pay Burrow, Chase, and Higgins all in the same offseason, be able to keep all of them in addition to, you know, keeping your, you know, your most vaunted pieces on defense as well. So I think that, you know, there, there's going to be some, there, there's going to have to be some, some, I think, some some way for the Bengals to be able to kind of figure out, okay, how are we going to go about choosing what we do in the future for Joe Burrow uh, and, and whether that be kind of keeping him out of this game, you know, this upcoming week or, or maybe even weeks to come, you know, it's it's just going to kind of, I think it's going to come down. It's going to be an interesting choice nonetheless, uh, you know, kind of once we get to, once we get to a little bit later in the season there. So hopefully it doesn't end up too bad for the, for the Bengals. Um, you know, they, they've started slow the each of the past two years, and where has that led? Well, it's led to losing a Super Bowl by three points and uh, almost earning a spot in the Super Bowl, you know, last year. So if there's any if there's anything that we can learn by the fact that the Bengals have started slow each of the last two years, they've ended up in a pretty good place. And so, you know, hopefully that's kind of where they're able to or they're able to kind of repeat that uh, that su- the success that they've seen in the last couple of years despite a slow start. Well, speaking of a slow, a slow start, we are definitely going to be considering that for the Broncos uh, in a game this past weekend in which the Commanders come back from down 21 to 3, they outscore the Broncos 32 to 3 in the next, you know, in the next basically, you know, three-ish, two and a half quarters there, uh, late into the fourth quarter, uh, before obviously, you know, the, the Commanders had to stop a two-point conversion after a Hail Mary goes through for a touchdown to the Broncos to cut that to a two-point game, and it's just... Well, the question that I have here is basically after an 0-2 start and losing both games to worst teams, right? The Broncos were favored by three, three and a half points in both of those games to the Raiders and the Commanders. The question is how low could this season get for the Broncos? And I mean, that's kind of the, I mean, the question that everybody's trying to, trying to answer. And obviously that's, you know, it's, it's, it's going to be impossible for me to kind of undertake that all together just here in one, in one, you know, in one sitting. Um, but, but I think that it is important to bring up the fact that the Broncos have looked, in, just 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 interestingly underwhelming i guess and inconsistent in their past or in their first two games uh, to start the season and the interesting part about all of this is the fact that the offense has actually looked pretty good right and and so we get an exactly opposite narrative as we had last year where you know right Russell Wilson's first year with the Broncos you know he's a little bit older but he's you know he's all of this talented guy who's you know won a Super Bowl should have won a second Super Bowl probably going to be in the Hall of Fame uh you know if he can just be 80% of what he was in Seattle for during his peak years, the Broncos with this defense, with this home field advantage, they should be able to win 10 games, get to the playoffs, you know, basically every year. Well, last year they went five and 12 and obviously it was underwhelming from the start. You had Nathaniel Hackett who comes in as the, you know, the head coach and doesn't even last half the season. And so from that point on, you're basically, all right, this is kind of a wash on the season here, despite the fact that their defense was arguably the best in the league in terms of a point per game, you know, you know, on a point per game basis, the Broncos had the best defense in the league last year. And coming into this year, like they didn't really lose any of those pieces. I mean, we see plenty of examples where, you know, a team will lose, you know, their their star defensive players, or you know, one maybe one piece that kind of tied everything together. That now you're looking back and you're like, all right, that guy was really the key to this whole thing. The, the, the Broncos didn't really lose any of their defensive pieces. They have pretty much. You know, a, a very similar defense, um, you know, as, as they did last year. And this was an, a league-leading defense. And now we've, as we've seen in the past or the first two weeks of the season so far, the defense is really what's letting the Broncos down. Obviously, the first week you have a 17-16 to loss to the Raiders. 
And it's one of those things where, you know, it's the Raiders, right? And and for as much as as much slack as we want to give Jimmy G, he ends up going out there and kind of producing, like kind of wherever he's been. Obviously, they had, you know, they kind of got crushed by the Bills, but we all thought that was going to happen uh, in week two. But it was like the Raiders went into Denver and won that game outright, right? The Commanders went into Denver and won that game outright. And both times, these teams are coming from behind to win the game. Sean Payton, after leading by 18-plus points previous to this game, was 72-0, and leading by 18-plus points. And this was his first loss. Well, you know, shocker, it was the first game that he played in, you know, while being up by 18 points while he's with the Broncos. And the defense completely, you know, completely let the commanders come back into this game and take the lead and just just kind of steal it from them. Uh, the Broncos offense, here's another crazy stat. The Broncos offense is leading the league in points per drive. Now obviously because and that's kind of a you know that's kind of a, a little bit of a noisy stat because you got to think about okay, well, how many drives are they having per game? Not as many as other teams. Obviously, their drives are lasting longer because they're able to kind of sustain, you know, chaining first downs together as well as, you know, their defense for for as kind of as, as lackluster as they've been, they've at least not allowed super deep plays or, you know, explosive plays to the opposing offense. And so the, the opposing offense is on the field for a while as well. So the Broncos have probably, you know, one of the longer times of possession. And so to kind of say that they are earning the most points per drive, yes, they, they, they don't have as many points as, you know, the leading teams in the league. But it means that their offense has been one of the most efficient in the NFL, which I think, you know, if you're if you're to look at kind of just generally, you know, surface level of how we think the Broncos have done this so far this season, it hasn't been the most efficient offense, you know, or at least that's what I think, like I said, you know, surface level, it doesn't look like that. But it's it, statistically, it's holding up. And I think that it's it, it really comes down to now, like kind of what the defense has been able to do. Or, or you know, or not, which in both cases, that's kind of you know, that's kind of been uh, what what's held this team back from, especially from winning the you know the past couple games. So I, I you know I think kind of we look at it and we overall right you know what's the status of this team, and I think it's it's a team that. I don't know. I mean, I'm trying to think. I'm like, I'm thinking of the positive. Like, okay, yes, they have a, you know, their offense is working. It's working efficiently, but like these are two games, man. Where like you have to have these wins because we all know the narrative that. Teams that go into Denver early in the year usually lose because the home field advantage in Denver is so strong with being up in the mountains. It's hard to breathe for the other team. Uh, you know, that, that's a significant home field advantage. On, on top of that, you know, the, the, the fans always still fill, fill the stadiums uh, or fill a stadium there. And, and so it's a great home field advantage for the Broncos in general, but especially at the beginning of the season because, you know, these teams aren't used to not only used to playing in, at, you know, at real game pace, as we talked about earlier with the whole preseason thing and nobody plays in the preseason. Well, if you don't play in the preseason and all of your experience playing football for the entire year has been, has just been like messing around in, in training camp and then you go to a mile high stadium in Denver and you know with all those fans and you're not able to breathe like that's an intimidating place to play and I think that you know a, a lot of what the we've seen with the Broncos over the past you know basically ever since like ever since Peyton Manning left and before Russell Wilson came those like six to seven years in there like when Drew Locke was the starting quarterback they had Teddy Bridgewater for a couple couple years like they were winning. They were underdogs at home in the first couple of weeks of the season, but they were winning these games pretty convincingly simply because of their home field advantage. And so I think that's kind of something to point to the fact that like they had this home field advantage to the both of these games that they've played so far. They've had the home field advantage in in a situation that usually allows them to win to win games. They haven't been able to win those games, and it's not like they've played good competition. There's arguments to be made that the Raiders may be a little bit better than we thought coming into the season, and the Commanders also may be better than we thought coming into the season. I think I think it's probably true for the Commander side, just because 
it, it actually looks like Sam Howell can be a starting quarterback in the NFL for as much as he is. It looks like he'll get the ball. He'll like spin around a couple times. He'll run out to the side and then throw it away. That's more so what I felt I saw. I watched the first half of this game. I didn't watch the second half. So that's what I saw in the first half. And I'm like, all right, this guy clearly, it looks like he doesn't have it. But hey, they scored 35 points and he threw for 303 touchdowns, I think. So uh, so I think, you know, right just kind of looking at it from you know from from a bird's eye view I think that he's 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 doing something right because he's able to kind of get you know become I think more aware of, of what's going on in the NFL and and I'm going to transition to Eric Bieniemy in a couple minutes but I, I just want to kind of finish on the Broncos segment which is this season could crumble could crater if if this trend continues where the offense is pretty efficient right but the defense is completely letting him down and I think the key to all of this is a guy named Ijiro Evero, and you're you're saying, Matt, who the heck is that, and what words did you even just say? Yeah, so the defensive coordinator from last year is a guy named Ijiro Evero. Look him up. His first name is spelled E J I R O, and then his last name is E V E R O. So it's a it's a very you know like sounding name. But this guy is one of the best defensive coordinators in the league. And you know what happened? He went to Carolina in the offseason. like kind of an undercovered story in a lot of places. And and, and I saw that, and I was like, wait, like is that true? Because even last year, the, as I said, the Broncos had the best defense in the NFL. They don't really have many, you know, guys on defense. Like you think about just names that you would know, the Broncos don't really have that many people, or at least you know, well-known guys in just in general in the league on their defense. But yet they were able to be the best defense in the NFL last year. And then as we see this year, they have pretty much the same guys that came back to this year. And they look horrible. And I'm thinking, all right, well, what's the what's the connection here? The only thing I can think of is Idro Evero, who was the defensive corner last year, who's now with Carolina. And we even seen in Carolina's two games, the offense has not been able to do anything for the Panthers, and the defense has still been able to produce. I mean, they were second. They sacked Derek Carr like six times last night. They were given, you know, they gave up 20 points, but again, with what the Panthers were able to do on offense, like nothing absolutely nothing so I think Idro Evero is is probably going to be kind of the 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 under the radar new defensive coordinator who kind of comes out of the woodwork and and is and is you know vying for an NFL hood coaching position just because of how well he coaches defense so that's my theory that's my answer is that this defensive coordinator who nobody really knows it's hard to pronounce his name and now he's with the Panthers like he seems to be the key to it all. Like I think if, if if they were able to have the defensive production that they were last year, they would easily have been two and zero so far this season. And so I, I hope that they're able to kind of recover from this. But again, these are two wins that they should have had. They should be two and zero. And now you're heading to Miami, where we've seen them be amazing in the in the first two weeks here, and they're now favored by seven at home to the Broncos. So it's it's likely the Broncos start zero and three. And when you're in the same division as Kansas City and and the, you know the Los Angeles Chargers, which again. I think we're going to talk about the Chargers probably next week because they play the Vikings this week, and that's going to be a battle of two 0-2 teams, one of which is going to 0-3, and that's going to be a topic of conversation for sure because these are two playoff teams, expected playoff teams this year and, and definite playoff teams last year. So the only other thing I'm going to say about this game is crediting the commanders for being able to pull this out. I mean, obviously, they played the they played the Cardinals last week, and didn't look great. I mean, obviously the Cardinals, the worst team in the NFL. Uh, I, well, I guess, can we even say that after the, the performances they put up again in week one against the, Car uh, the commanders? And then obviously last week against the giants, but 
it, it didn't look great from the commander's point of view. They got the win, and, and Sam Howell you know, performed okay. But this performance by the, the commanders, especially on offense, really showed what I think they're capable of, and I think showed that now Eric Bieniemy is 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 really should be thought of as I think probably a you know a pretty solid offensive mind in the game of football. It it sucks for him in general that he had to leave Kansas City where he had so much success and he you know he 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 won the Super Bowl with Patrick Mahomes. He got Patrick Mahomes the MVP. Uh, you know, well now a two time MVP. I think you know. But a lot of the conversation, well, then that's what I'm saying is he didn't necessarily win the Super Bowl by himself. He didn't get Patrick Mahomes the MVP. A lot of the narrative coming out of that was that Andy Reid was the one who was calling the plays. Andy Reid's the one who was coaching up Patrick Mahomes. And Eric Bieniemy, while being labeled as the offensive coordinator, you know, how much how much authority did he really have in that Kansas City offense and how much of their success was really rooted to Eric Bieniemy himself? And and I think a lot of people were doubting him because of that. And so he really wasn't able to be, you know, he wasn't able to get a head coaching position, I think. And again, this is kind of what's being reported now pretty pretty obviously after, you know, the success that they had in Denver was that Ron Rivera is kind of a placeholder. He was kind of, you know, gelling the team together while they kind of got the ownership out of the way and, you know, and, and Dan Schneider and all that all that craziness. You know, now they have Eric Bieniemy, who's been labeled as a guy who should earn a head coaching position but hadn't up until now well Ron Rivera is probably going to be fired because this commander just haven't had any success under him and Eric Bieniemy's, you know kind of one of the you know one of the few guys who's 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 linked to become a head coach the next head coach in the NFL I think this is kind of a this is kind of a sliding doors moment here where Eric Bieniemy is the offensive coordinator of the of the commanders he's kind of getting all the shine he's getting the limelight Ron Rivera is not really getting much of the credit. I think we see a clear shift to Eric Bieniemy as the head coach after this year, especially if the commanders can continue to have the success that they are so far this season. The third game that I wanted to talk about happened on Monday night, and it was <laughs> it was a crazy game, obviously, as the Steelers win an ugly Monday night game. Uh, they were outgained by 200 yards by, by, the, uh, by the Browns. But they had two defensive touchdowns that won them the game. They had the pick six on the the very first play of the game, and when one of the last plays of the game, they have a fumble six. Uh, obviously, the the sack fumble returned for a touchdown by T.J. Watt, who is cementing himself as potentially the best defensive player in the league. <coughs> so the question is, after this game, will either of these teams eventually end up living up to the offseason hype? Because these are two teams that I think, you know, the Steelers obviously have the history of being one of the best teams in the NFL, right? Just or not one of the best, but one of the most consistent. Obviously, under Mike Tomlin, he hasn't had a losing season. He's been there for 16 years, and and despite you know starting a rookie quarterback last year, they still go nine and eight, uh, and they make the playoffs. And, and and I think that you know, uh, when when you think about just in general, the Steelers just just the model of consistency. They're always they always have a good defense. They always have a you know a, a, a ground and pound offense, and they're always able to compete. Um, no matter kind of you know who's good in the league, they're always going to be able to get up for games and, and be able to win these games. And 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 there was almost more hype coming in this year than last year. Well, definitely more this year than last year because last year, obviously, right? You, you start your season by starting Mitch Trubisky, moving on from him to Kenny Pickett, who's starting his rookie year. This year, you're thinking, okay, well, you know, great. I think I think Kenny Pickett can can do this. Obviously, one more year in the offensive system, he'll be more comfortable. You have George Pickens, who's one of the best young wide receivers in the game right now. This is going to be a great offense paired with, obviously, as I mentioned, T.J. Watt. You know. 
Highsmith on the defensive end, you know, Minka Fitzpatrick. And we haven't seen that, obviously. We haven't seen the hype, um, you know, lived up to by, by the Steelers in the first two weeks. There's a couple things I'm going to say about this. The first is that we have to address Matt Canada, who's the offensive coordinator, who is getting all of the blame because his play calling is complete doo-doo as of, as of what we've seen from the, from the Steelers so far. Uh, and, and, whether that's a combination of just kind of the, the offense still needing some time, Kenny Pickett still needing some time to gel with this offense. We've seen Najee Harris basically be non-existent in the first two games this season. We've seen George Pickens shine, obviously, as he did in that, you know, that, that 70 yard uh, touchdown um, on Monday night. But, but it just seems to not really be clicking. And I think a lot of people want to blame Matt Canada for the fact that, okay, well, you know, his, his offense has sucked the past two years. Well, all right, you're giving Penny, Kenny Pickett his rookie year. you got to kind of call some simple stuff. We get it, right? This year should be different. Well, it really hasn't been so far. But I'm here to say I think the Steelers are just uh, – have have legitimately faced the two best defenses in the NFL. I think, that, I think the 49ers are, are probably clearly the best defense in the NFL, and I think the Browns – shown through two games so far that they are probably they're definitely a top five defense in the NFL if not you know kind of the, the first or second best so I think the Steelers have quite literally played the two best defenses in the in the NFL again another reason why like Najee Harris has looked like he, he can't do anything because arguably these are the two best defensive lines in the NFL right so so I think that there, there's a lot going on in terms of how the Steelers' offense is not seeming to mesh really with with what they want to do, uh, or, or at least the, kind of what they were supposed to be doing as we thought preseason, you know, what this team could be doing. And so I'm willing to give a pass to the Steelers. The ultimate test is going to be this coming uh, Sunday night against the Raiders, right? Where a team where, okay, the Raiders beat the Broncos, but as I just said, the Broncos have been ex- extremely underwhelming and, and they could end up, you know, easily I could see them having a, a losing record this year and, and being, you know, one of the one of the bottom half teams in the league, and then obviously the Raiders get crushed by the Bills last week. So, if anything, I would want to see the Steelers win pretty convincingly, like by at least you know three to seven points here uh, this coming Sunday night in in Vegas. But I, can we, you know, can we say that that's going to be you know anything really? Like, like a for sure thing. No, I, I, you know, again, the Raiders obviously are dealing with their own injury issues. Jacoby Myers and and Devonte Adams, their two best receivers, are probably still going to be out with con- concussion issues. Um, so the Steelers, the Steelers, I think, can really prove themselves uh, with a win on Sunday night against the Raiders. On to the Browns side of things. Obviously, Nick Chubb. That's going to be the biggest story coming out of Monday night. A horrific knee injury, uh, which is going to leave him out for the season. And and he's and he's you know that that offense really revolves around Nick Chubb, especially with Deshaun Watson struggling a little bit, which I'm going to get into a little bit more. But honestly, Jerome Ford, who was the backup for Nick Chubb, came in and really performed. I mean, in, in basically three quarters, he had over a hundred rushing yards. He had a touchdown on the ground. He had a, he had I think four catches. He had a touchdown catch. So. This is a guy who was filling in for Nick Chubb at least in the first, you know, the the the, the first time with him kind of starting in the, in the full time role, really kind of shining uh, in in this Brown system. Now, I think a lot of that is credit to Kevin Stefanski, who's the head coach, but I think also calls the plays um, in in uh, in Cleveland there, the offensive line, which is top five in the league, uh, and, and so I think that it's it's kind of one of those situations like like a, a few years ago with the Cowboys where we had Demarco Murray, Ezekiel Elliott, like if you're running behind the best offensive line in the league, like you're going to have success regardless of who you put back there at running back. I am absolutely taking nothing away from Nick Chubb here, who I believe is the best running back in the league. 
I just think that, and you know, again, Christian McCaffrey, Derrick Henry, they're, you know, they're, they're definitely top five, you know, probably top three, uh, potentially could be the best running back in the league. But again, you know, when you're afforded gaping holes like he is, you know, it's, I think it's, it's pretty, it's at least not going to be a significant, significant drop off, like season ending drop off from Nick Chubb to Jerome Ford, which I think is a positive thing. On the other side of things, we have Deshaun Watson, who through two games, Hasn't looked great. I mean, again, you know, you had the crazy weather in Cleveland in week one where they beat up on the Bengals, but the offensive statistics for the Browns in that game, again, they they beat the Bengals 24 to three, but the offensive statistics looked really bad. And last night we had some, you know, there, there were a couple instances of Deshaun Watson being able to look like he knows where his receivers are going. Uh, but if that's, if that's kind of what we're judging him on, I don't think that's a, that's a positive thing kind of going forward here. So it's going to be interesting, you know, going forward, seeing like, you know, will will Deshaun Watson be able to really come into his own in this offense? I, I don't know. Uh, he seems to not really be wanting to run a lot. And, and even, like, when he does get out of the pocket, he seems to just be getting chased by these defensive ends and just gets, like, gets sacked. Like, he... I've seen multiple times in the, in the, in the, in the first two weeks where, like, he escapes the pocket... He looks like he should be running pretty fast, and then like a defensive tackle is able to catch up to him, trip him up, and he and he goes down for a sack. Like I think he's just been taking way too many sacks than he, or you know, way more sacks than he should. Um, and and again, like you know, you have weapons on the outside: Amari Cooper, Donovan Peoples-Jones, Elijah Moore. Like the guy, these guys are getting targets, and they just really aren't performing that well. So. The passing game needs to needs to do a little bit better. We saw them obviously be able to kind of come back and 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 you know and and be in the game with Pittsburgh last night. And if we're being real, the Browns should have won that game, right? I mean, Pittsburgh having two defensive touchdowns and one insane explosive play, a 70-yard touchdown to, to George Pickens. Other than that, the, the Steelers could not do anything on offense. So I think that, and, and, obviously, and as I said, I mean, they, the Steelers got outgained by the Browns by 200 yards. So I think that, if anything, I come away from, from the Monday night game thinking, okay, the Browns definitely look like the better team. The defense is unstoppable probably top three in the league and the offense has a little bit to be desired and you're going to lose some productivity obviously from Nick Chubb not being able to be there but I think overall this team is probably set up for for a good bit of success just as long as like you know Deshaun Watson not losing them games and the argument could be made that he lost them the game because he threw a pick six on the first play and then he got sacked and fumbled and you know and and the fumble was run back for the touchdown so as much as I want to say oh this you know the Browns should have won that game the Steelers got a fraudulent win because they had two defensive touchdowns both of those defensive touchdowns were over you know were, were were by turnovers by Deshaun Watson so if that's not cleaned up the Browns can only can only go so far with a great defense, you know, if they're not able to really put up any points. And if they're giving points to the other team on offense, that's even worse, right? So so we'll see where both of these teams end up. I think the one, you know, the one kind of takeaway that we can have from these two AFC North divisional matchups that we saw Sunday and Monday, respectively, is that the Ravens are probably the best team, right? And the Ravens were completely beat up as they played the Bengals last week, and they still got the win. So so I think that the Ravens come out of this as, as the big winner here for the AFC North. I wanted to do a little a little kind of small topic on on the uh, the Patriots and Dolphins Sunday night game in which the Dolphins won 24-17, were in control pretty much the whole time, to a, and obviously to a, you know, to a Tyreek Hill. They didn't have as great an offensive performance as they did against the Chargers in week one, but we expected that, right, because a Bill Belichick defense is always going to be stout, going to be, you know, head on a swivel. 
But again, the, the Dolphins controlled this game. Tua looked good. He was efficient. The running game was good. Raheem Mostert had over 100 yards and a touchdown. So, I, you know, I come away from that being like, okay, you know, my 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 affirmations are correct in in the sense that you know I, I think that the Dolphins are are really live to make a deep playoff run and, and potentially win the Super Bowl. I bet them to win the Super Bowl. Per, you know, uh, you know before the before the year, obviously, and now they're on top in the AFC North or AFC East, which was by many, uh, obviously, before the Aaron Rodgers injury, uh, said that that might be one of the toughest divisions, or you know, one, definitely one of the toughest, might be the toughest division in football this year. So. <clears throat> I think that you know the, the Patriots are still you know, they have a solid team, uh, but it's just they're going to be limited by their offense as much as you know they just don't have really skill positions on the outside or you know weapons at the skill positions uh, for Mac Jones to be able to kind of get the ball spread the ball around uh, you know to those receivers. The defense is always going to be kind of you know they're they're going to they're going to be tough. They're going to stick in games, but again we're going to kind of see like this week they play the Jets. At MetLife, and that's going to be a stinker of a game, let me tell you, in terms of points scored. I think the total is 36 and a half, which is like as low as a total I've ever seen in the NFL. So the Jets and the, and the Patriots are, are on, on a collision course for one of the, one of the worst games probably – that we're going to see um, in terms of like, you know, explosion and, and, and score point scored and all that, that we're going to see uh, probably this whole year. Whereas the dolphins on the other hand, like, like I said earlier, they're playing the, they're playing the Broncos at home this, this, this week and can easily become three and O and with wins over, you know, the chargers who were a playoff team from last year, uh, the Patriots who are a division foe and, and, you know, you get a division up a division game or division win to put yourself more in contention to win that division going forward. And the Broncos, team that's supposed to be you know was supposed to be a playoff team this year and is, and is definitely looking like it's not so a 3-0 start for the Dolphins would be pretty pretty great and if the Patriots they're favored against the Jets but if they lose to Zach Wilson and the Jets and that got great defense the Patriots and the Dolphins are going to be going in opposite directions even more so than they are coming out of this game we're going to switch over to college football now and we're going to be talking about Deion Sanders, who is the talk of the town Colorado moves to 3-0 after a thrilling victory over Colorado State uh, obviously, Colorado and Deion Sanders are anything that anyone can talk about when it comes to college football these days. Uh, after exceeding the expectations of many people preseason, so I, I I put here, let's reset the expectations after three weeks for for Colorado football, right? Because going into the season, and and it's more so a reset of expectations, I think, in my own mind. Because coming into the season, I was very low on Colorado. I said they're gonna, you know, they're probably only gonna win two or three games for the entire season. Hayden, to give him credit, Hayden was high on Colorado. Hayden said they could probably win six or seven games. They'll probably go to a bowl game. I was like, I don't see it. There's no way that, you know, this team that was 1-11 last year, you bring in a bunch of FCS transfers. Are they going to really be able to make this team into a contending, you know, power five, uh, you know, college, you know, college football team? And so far, the answer is yes, because they had a thrilling victory over TCU in their first game. They had a dominant victory over Nebraska in their second game, and then obviously um, a, 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 a thrilling come-from-behind victory uh, against Colorado State this past weekend. Now, here's the caveat, okay? The caveat is the fact that Colorado State was not supposed to be in this game at all, but Colorado State was winning this game for most of the time. It took a heroic 98-yard drive for uh, for Col- by Shador Sanders for Colorado to be able to win this game over Colorado State, and obviously, you know, they go into overtime, they go into double overtime, and Colorado comes out with the win. But Colorado was a 24-point favorite again in this game against Colorado State, and that being said, 
or as a result of that, Colorado State should have never been this game. But the fact is, Colorado State was winning this game over Colorado for most of the time. So it was just an interesting result, I think, that, you know, obviously the talent was able to overcome. Colorado got the win. They moved to 3-0. and They're going to be, you know, they're still going to be ranked in the AP poll. They're going to be inside the top 15, probably. It's it's extremely, I love this for college football. As much as I wanted to hate on kind of the whole, you know, I don't think that Colorado's going to be good. I don't think, I wanted to be right. Clearly, I'm I'm not right, and I'm completely willing to accept my you know my you know my transgressions and where I was wrong in the preseason. If it means how much this means for college football in general, and that's the that's the that's the position that I'm taking here. It's not oh well, I want to I, I still want to be right about Colorado, so I'm going to say that they're going to lose pretty much every game in the rest of the schedule. It's not oh well, I didn't I didn't think Colorado's going to be this good, so I'm going to be the biggest fan of Colorado moving forward. No, I, I'm still somewhere in the middle. Right, Colorado's a 21-point underdog to Oregon this coming weekend. They're going to be playing USC in the game after Oregon. You know, so in, in you know in, in two weeks' time, and and Colorado's probably going to be a, at least a, a four touchdown underdog, probably close to 30-point underdog against USC in that game. So the expectations for this team are not to go eight and four in the regular season and be competing for a Pac-12 championship. No, the expectations now are to, for Colorado to make a bowl game, which would be still, I need to remind people that would still be an insane success story for this Colorado team coming off of being the worst power five team one and 11 last year. So I love what Deion Sanders has done this year. I love the success that Deion Sanders has had. And I'm so glad or having you know, the success that he's having. And I'm so glad that he is bringing so much attention to college football. People that I know have never watched college football, never cared about it, never wanted to watch it, are now tuning into these games and texting me like, hey, like, are you seeing this Colorado game? I, I, it's, it's, it's amazing. It's, it's bringing life back to the sport. It's bringing personality back to the sport. Like, he sold four and a half million dollars worth of with his, you know, his sunglasses, obviously, after the, the confrontation that he had with Jay Norvell, who's the coach of Colorado State earlier last week uh and and I just love it I love it for college football I love it for you know for these kids who you know kind of took a chance with Dion signing in it with an FCS school which isn't even on kind of the division one FBS level they played for Jackson State last year who played well but but it, it, you know if you want to get drafted like it's actually kind of a you're actually kind of you know setting yourself up for you know a questionable future if you choose to go to an FCS school over going to Alabama, Georgia, Ohio State, which is you know Travis Hunter and McCormani Cormani McLean and and Shador Sanders for you know for that matter too had offers to way bigger schools. They chose to go to Jackson State. They chose to follow Deion Sanders to Colorado, and look what they're you know look what's happening as a result of that. They're all getting NIL deals. This program is making a ton of money. This program is having a, a ton of success and proving that if you do the transfer portal correctly and you can just bring in a ton of athletes and you have a guy like Deion Sanders who is able to just completely you know like overhaul the culture at a place that needs it. Right. But in addition to that, be able to get a like I think it was like 75 different players transferred, like, you know, new players transferred to Colorado, getting all of those college like, again, these are college kids. Right. Getting them all in the same mindset of just, you know, we, 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 we you know, the, the, the haters are going to hate. We need to come in. We need to do our thing. We need to prove them wrong. We need to win these games and, and show the world what we have. I just I love it for college football, for these kids, for the for the school, Colorado, who hasn't been relevant in college football for, what, 25 years now. Um all of it is just is just so great for the sport in general. And 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 <clears throat> as I've said, 
multiple times on the podcast, if I was to choose any sport that would be my favorite, it's obviously football, but it would be college football over NFL. Obviously, I know everything about the NFL. I love the NFL. I, I watch and I watch the games for eight hours every single Saturday or every single Sunday that it's on. Uh, look at me, 40 and slip Saturday is when college football is on. Uh, but but I like college football more because there's more teams, there's more storylines, there's more to follow, honestly. So that's, that's kind of the main thing is that, like, you can almost kind of become bored with there being only 32 teams to follow in the NFL. There's 133 FBS college football teams. I'm, I'm following every single one of them, right? So, um, so the fact that, that, that this, this whole scenario for Deion Sanders is, is becoming real and, and, and he's bringing so many faces and no, so many new people, so much new interest to the sport of college football is just all around so positive for me. So, you know, right. Are, are they going to be in contention to win the Pac-12 this year? No. Are they going to be in contention to, you know, to, to, to make the college football playoff? Absolutely not. But that shouldn't be the expectation. So that's the other thing I kind of want to lead, you know, lead off on this topic is um, <clears throat> we should not be expecting Colorado to win the Pac-12. They're not going to beat Oregon. They're not going to beat USC. They're not going to beat Washington. They're not going to beat Utah. They're not going to beat probably Oregon State or Washington State either. But what they are going to do is be able to to make these games interesting and bring new people into the sport. And that's really all that I can ask. And I'm so glad that Deion Sanders is able uh, to do that and has been proving to do that so far this season. And, and obviously, the next time that Hayden's on the podcast, I will be sure to mention to him, hey, you were right. You know, give your piece on Colorado. I, I'd love to see. I'd love to hear what he thinks, uh, since he was, you know, definitely correct coming into the season on 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 how you know how successful Colorado was going to be. The other college football topic that we need to address is the fact that Alabama and Georgia look horrible. I mean, I put in the title here that they look vulnerable, but they don't. Not only do they look vulnerable, they look like they both should have lost this past weekend. And oh, by the way, it was to South Carolina and University of South Florida. I mean, come on. Uh, so yeah, obviously neither of them look look uh, look great in their first two games, and that was the thing too. Is okay, Alabama beat Middle Tennessee by like you know fifty points or whatever, but. Georgia played UT Martin and Ball State and like didn't look that you know didn't look that impressive in either of those games. They obviously had kind of the stinker this past week or you know it was it was a little bit in doubt. South Carolina was beating Georgia 14 to 6 at halftime. Obviously Georgia comes out, you know they they win the second the second half. I think it was 18 nothing in the second half and they win that game. Okay, fine. Um Alabama, they lost to Texas obviously as we discussed on last week's podcast. And then they come into this week with a game against South Florida in which they're 35 point favorites and the game is 10 to 3 with like 10 with like 5 minutes left in the fourth quarter. They end up winning 17 to 3. Um but but the big story coming out of this week is like you know obviously the SEC isn't looking that great overall. And so I think kind of the, the question to ask here is this the final the, or is this the first year that we don't have an overwhelming title favorite coming from the SEC? Which, by the way, I love this. I love that the fact that Florida State, Texas, USC, you know, Oregon, Notre Dame, like all these to Clemson, like all these teams are are looking you know, teams that aren't in the SEC, teams that Michigan and State, or Michigan and Ohio State. I obviously they're not in the SEC, but they've made the playoffs each of the last two years. So I, I can't really include them, you know, to for 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 all intents and purposes, but. But but we're just kind of seeing like the transition in, in college football where like the NIL and the transfer transfer portal era is finally showing up in the results of these games. I think that's the coolest part. We hear about the NIL stuff. Oh, you know, Miami pay or Florida, you know, paid $13 million to Jaden Rashada so he could join their team. And then he ends up not getting that money and he goes to Arizona State. By the way, Arizona State sucks this year. Um, but like 
we hear the stories and then we're like, okay, well, so that's great. So, you know, where are all these players that are getting paid all these millions of dollars? Like, you know, what's happening? Well, they're not really playing yet. And, and oh, by the way, Georgia's winning the last two national championships. And oh, by the way, uh, Alabama won, you know, before that. So there hadn't been any changes on the field, any results, you know, on the field that prove that the transfer portal and this NIL era is really doing anything for the success of college football, or at least to bring into more parity within college football, because the same teams have always been so good. But now we're starting to see, like, Quinn Ewers was at Ohio State. He went to Texas, right? And and he's getting paid a lot of money to be at Texas, but he's performing really well, and Texas looks like one of the best teams in the country. If Quinn Ewers was on Alabama, let me tell you, Alabama would be the overwhelming title favorite. They'd be, like, automatic. They would win the national championship. But no. They have a struggling trio of quarterbacks, Jalen Milrow, Tyler Buckner, and Ty Simpson, who all looked very, very mediocre. They all played in this game against South Florida, and they all looked very mediocre. So I, I think that it's it's good to see that the transition of power in college football might not be from, you know, Alabama to now LSU or, you know, Ole Miss. It might be from Alabama and Georgia to Texas, to Florida State, to USC. Teams from outside of just kind of the what's been, you know, the great teams in college football over the last, you know, 10 to 20 years. And we now have a, you know, a legitimate, you know, power structure in, in college football where a lot of different teams can, are, you know, are potentially able to win the national championship this year. I love that for the sport. I love that for just kind of my own, you know, being able to follow it. Um, again, unfortunately, Colorado is not going to be one of those teams. Uh, but again, could be in, in two to three years when, you know, when they start getting more recruits and, and, and really putting this thing on brand. I think Colorado could definitely become a title contender, uh, which is, I, I, again, I love saying that because I just love, you know, just seeing other teams win, teams that you don't think of, teams that haven't won, you know, as much in the past. So obviously, yes, you know, Georgia's probably still going to go undefeated because their schedule is kind of a piece of cake, right? Their only tough game is going to is going to be against Tennessee and Tennessee looked like horrible uh or looked horrible against Florida in their in their game this past weekend. So Georgia's probably still going to go undefeated in the regular season. Alabama, you know, they may not win the SEC West, but I didn't think they would. I said that LSU would win the SEC West, and I think that LSU is probably still going to do that, obviously, especially after seeing how badly Alabama played in comparison to LSU's dominant win over Mississippi State, 41-14 to to 14 this past weekend, but it was 41-7 to 7 for pretty much the entire game. It was, it was an absolute blowout. So I think LSU is probably still going to win against Alabama. <clears throat> but again... If, if both those teams go into the SEC championship not looking that great and then it's any team's ball game kind of coming out of that, we we might even see their only one team makes it into the college football playoff from the SEC, which I think would be unheard of. Uh, it's happened before, but but not in the last you know five or six years here. So I think there's a lot of positivity coming out of the negativity from Georgia and Alabama looking pretty bad in their you know in their first couple of games to start the season. But I, I think it's great. I think it's great for the sport. I'm very excited to see kind of, you know, if, if, right, if Florida State can stay undefeated, if Texas can stay undefeated, if USC can stay undefeated, because if they can, all three of those teams are in the top five right now. All three of those teams are going to make the college football playoff. If they can be undefeated in the regular season, if they can win their conference championship, they deserve to be in the college football playoff over a team like Alabama, who, you know, if they're 11 and 1 or 10 and 2 and don't win the SEC championship, they, they shouldn't make the playoff. They shouldn't deserve to, you know, they don't deserve to make the college football playoff in a, you know, in a year like that. Now, going forward, and this is kind of where I wanted to transition the, t- the discussion. I'm not going to spend too much time, uh, too much more time on this. But 
going forward, this year is the last year where we have a four-team college football playoff, right? Going forward, every year from here on out, it's going to be 12 teams that make the college football playoff. And in in a year, you know, with a 12-team college football playoff, Alabama can go 10-2, and two, not even compete in the SEC championship, and still be, you know, still make the 12-team college football playoff and still have a good chance to win the playoff because of how much we know how successful Nick Saban and this Alabama team has been for so long now. So, you know, going forward, I think there's there's obviously going to be a better chance for these teams to quote unquote make the playoff simply because the playoff is increasing by a factor of eight teams. You know, being or eight more teams will be able to to come to participate. But I think that that leads to inherent parity as well because it's a one time football game in which you know a, a team like TCU last year, Michigan was undefeated throughout the regular season. They beat Ohio State, they crushed Ohio State, they crushed Penn State, they crushed Purdue in the Big Ten Championship. Michigan was undefeated and, and hadn't even been tested basically the entire year, and they don't even they're not even leading for a second in that TCU game. TCU completely routes them and wins that game. Games like that, results like that in a 12-team playoff are much more likely to happen, which will lead to more unexpected matchups as we go deeper into the playoff and, and as we get to the college football championship. And I think, obviously, the poster child for this is March Madness, where like you can never predict the team that wins the, the the teams that wins it all because it's so random based on how many times you know how many these teams are only playing one game, and if you have a bad game, you're out of the tournament, right? It's it's going to be very similar as we go forward here in college football, and I'm super excited for that to be the case simply because it just invites you know the chance for more teams to be able to win on top of what I already talked about you know when we're looking at the transfer portal and the NIL that gives you know teams like you know Tennessee who has a ton of boosters around them SMU SMU is going to be they're joining the ACC in the next couple of years I read a report this week SMU was able to gather a hundred million dollars from boosters the collective people interested in basically just you know donating to the school to be able to make the football team and the basketball team better overall to be able to compete in this new era of the transfer portal and NIL that's insane. A hundred million dollars. That is that is the amount of money that they're going to be able to put into this football program to make it a powerhouse in the future. So, right, it's not going to be next year, but like five years down the road, SMU might be a top 10 team in the country. And you're thinking you're sitting in your seat right now or wherever you are. Maybe you're cleaning your dishes or maybe you're at work goofing off. And if that's the case. I hate it for your boss, but I love it for my podcast because I, I definitely you know enjoy you listening you know sticking around here and listening to me talk uh, for an hour about football. So so I think that you know the the general power structure in college football is shifting, and I love it and I and I completely embrace it and it's so exciting and I think that makes the sport more exciting going forward. We see that example with Colorado, Colorado and Deion Sanders. Like I said before, it's only going to make this whole sport you know, more open, more chances for more teams to win it, more, more chances for, you know, fan bases to actually have a reason to hope that their college football team can potentially win a championship, which has not been the case for the last like 20 to 25 years. Uh, And so, and so I just think that the overall direction of kind of the, you know, the, 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 the way that this is going in, in college football in general is good. Now, the only the only downside is the fact that the Big Ten and the SEC are essentially going to become power conferences, and so all of the best teams in the country are going to be in the SEC and the Big Ten, and or the most they're going to be the most competitive leagues, and you're going to have you know leagues like the ACC and the Big Twelve, which are kind of missing out. They're going to have quote unquote lower par teams, you know subpar teams, and and I don't want that to kind of 
um, I guess, interfere with the parity potential for college football going forward to where it becomes only the SEC teams and the Big Ten teams are the ones that are getting these NIL and transfer portal recruits that are, you know, they're kind of coming out. You know, and 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 really changing the game. So that'll obviously be something that comes along with something like a twelve-team playoff. So we'll have to kind of see how that gels, because again, too, the 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 ruling was when we you know when they introduced the the twelve-team playoff. You know, the, the teams that there's going to be basically you know six conference champions were going to make the college football playoff, the twelve-team playoff, and the other six teams were going to be kind of randomly picked based on who the other best teams were during the regular season. Well, now there's not even six conferences, or, or no, there's not even you know six five power five conferences much less you know six quality conferences from which these teams can be chosen so the whole structure in college football is changing not only in terms of like what conferences have the most power and the most structure in terms of being able to you know kind of almost put themselves in terms of like a a professional league but also you know teams like like that that aren't moving conferences like Texas. Uh, well, Texas is going to the SEC, so I don't even know why I brought them up. But you know, like a Clemson, Florida State, SMU, you know, Colorado, who is moving to the Big Twelve, they're not going to be in the SEC or the Big Ten, right? So teams like that, they'll be able to kind of you know sport their stuff, I think, later on and and, and really have some some success in the future. Well, that'll do it for for this episode of the First Down Rundown podcast. I hope you enjoyed. I hope you listened all the way through. Um, and and again, like I said, thank you so much for listening to the podcast. We're getting a lot more listens, and this this really makes me feel so good and and, and proud that like something that I just kind of started. Well, Hayden started it before, but that I you know I kind of texted him and was like, hey, hey, let's start this up, and that was three years ago. We haven't really seen much growth up until now, which I think is is really, you know, it, it, it's really a great thing to see for me personally because I, you know, again, like I said, I love doing this. This is my passion. Um, so, yeah, so so please just hop in the ratings uh, and, and give us a good rating because that that just will help kind of the podcast grow into, into something that can become a community, which I think would be the ultimate, you know, coolest thing to see, uh, you know, the kind of come out of this thing. So. With that being said, I'm not going to do a five-minute outro like Hayden always does. I'm just going to say goodbye to the people who listen to the podcast all the way through, and I thank you so much for doing so. And, and like I said, leave a rating on, on the show and, and just tell everyone that you know that you love this podcast, and and I thank you so much for you know for uh, for listening. Let, okay, how about this? If you want to really participate, you want to hear your name, we have an email for the podcast. It's firstdown.rundown at gmail.com. Email the podcast. Tell us something. Tell us what you want us to talk about. Tell us how much you think that we're great or tell us if you, we need to improve on anything. Just let us know because I think just being able to connect with our fans would be the uh, the ultimate coolest thing, especially at this this point in the podcast where I think we're, you know, we're kind of on that beginning stage of the growth, uh, but we're, we're going to get to, you know, we're, get, we're, we're looking to get a lot bigger here. So um, that's the best way to contact us right now. And and again, like like I said, thanks so much for listening and, and I'll talk to you guys again. We'll, we'll see. If you know if Hayden's able to do a podcast this weekend, we might, we might not. If not, it'll be at some point, you know, probably this point next week. Uh, but but so long for now, and I hope you have a great rest of the week.